some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. I bring on guests who have a particular perspective or experience that I think expands the conversation about meaningful and productive work, and I draw on the meaning and work research I've been doing over the last 15 years, as well as the consulting work I've been doing at Insignium and prior. I'll get to the program in just a second, but let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search. Last week, if if you missed the show live, we were on the air with Joy Shudikoff, who is a recognized leader for business lifestyle design for women and is the founder of her business consulting practice called Smart Women, Smart Solutions. She is the author of What's Next? The Seven Steps to Discover Your Big Idea and Create a Wildly Successful Business. We talked, among other things, about incorporating vision with strategy when starting a business, the criticality of managing cash flow, and scaling the business by adding talent to offload tasks that diminish the effectiveness of the owner. We covered a lot in an hour. It was amazing. And by the way, if you want to receive alerts in advance of my live show conversations to know what's coming, you can join my mailing list by visiting my website at elisecortez.com, navigating to the blog tab, and then under my photo, entering your name and email address, and we'll get you on a list. With us this week, I'm very happy to say, is retired Colonel Kim Olson from the United States Air Force. I affectionately call her the Force, by the way. You'll see why as we go along. (laughs) (laughs) Retired retired Colonel Olson has a distinguished career creating and leading organizations and initiatives, which I'll ask her to detail later. Today, she is a farmer, veteran, pilot, and champion of education and is influencing the future of sustainable food production through her community-supported agriculture at the 4K. River Ranch on Mineral Wells, Texas. Retired Colonel Olson has announced her candidacy for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture, and we'll talk about the important work she's doing to literally help fuel Texans. She joins us today from Mineral Wells, Texas. Colonel Olson, welcome to Working on Purpose again. It is always a pleasure to interview with you, Elise. It's just a fabulous show. I'm a fan, and I want to be able to help my my listeners understand why I'm a fan of you. So before we get into what we want to talk about with regard to feeding Texans and the health of Texans and what you want to do about that, will you just say just a bit about your background? I want listeners to get you know the, the smattering of the various kinds of things that you've been up to and what with the perspective and experience they they would be getting. Well, my background comes from uh, serving in the United States Air Force for 25 years. I happen to be in the first generation of female pilots, so just by design, I got to be a trailblazer in that arena, which, as most women know, once you enter a, a non-traditional career field, you, you learn a lot quickly. And then after I retired, I entered the field of education, as your your bio described, and I worked for Dallas ISD, worked on a school board, um, both urban and suburban. And then saw that there was a need for women veterans to have access to equitable care since we had women that were going into both Iraq and Afghanistan. And when they came out, they just did not have the kind of support 
that was needed given the tasks they were required to do. And in that work, I discovered that food was a great healer, and we can talk about that later. And then since then, I've been running my ranch, the 4K River Ranch, and I run a CSA, which, again, we'll talk about a little bit later. And in all that, that kind of uh, accumulated into a decision to uh, put my time, talent, and treasure into running for office. So that's kind of where you find me today. <laughs> hmm. That is a crisp way to that that. <laughs> It crazily captures a, a wealth of experience and contribution, Colonel. So thank you for that. I just wanted to make sure our listeners got a little bit about your background that I knew. So let's get into this here, this this thing that you're doing here. Why do you want to run for the office? Why do you want to run for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture? Well, at least there were tipping points uh, that sort of led me down this line. A lot of people had asked me, you know, are you ever going to run for office? Are you ever going to run for office, given kind of my Less of experience. And yeah, I had run, like I said, a school board for two terms. But I mean, just more like on a larger platform. And so three things happened. One was uh, November the 8th. And then in December, my son joined the United States Air Force. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've just given my nation my most precious resource, uh, one of my children. <laughs> <laughs> and then in January of this year, I, I got to march in. Austin with 100,000 of my close personal friends. Now, we did a lot of marching in, in the military, but not not carrying signs, I can assure you of that. And so I looked around, I thought, how can I not do something? How, how can I not step into the political discourse and do something to help this nation? It's one thing to sign and, you know, write a blank check of your life in the service of your nation. It's another to put your name on the ballot line for your state. And that's pretty much what I've done. That is, it just, it moves me, Colonel, because the, the service of that's involved in that is is magnanimous. It's just, it's really amazing. And and, and for our listeners to better understand which is what's, what's real, what this is really all about, what's involved to compete in this race and when? Well, the race is Department of Ag, and I didn't, I didn't quite close the question of why Ag. And given that I had worked with veterans for five years, and I saw how food could be the great healer, and we can talk about this in more detail as to why I'm driven so by making sure that Texans have access to the best food, whether it's in our school systems, in our uh, nursing homes, or just in our grocery stores. I mean, we we need to have good fuel, to exactly your point, fuel us for our future, whether we're learning in the classroom, whether we're aging out, and whether we're in the middle of our work life, food is an incredible, not just keeps you alive, it keeps you well if you eat appropriately. So so let me, let me segue then over to your question about what it takes. So we started early. Most folks who've entered the race in 2017 have started early. This is a statewide race, so anybody out there listening from Texas can vote. You will have a we'll have a primary in January. I'm sorry, March the sixth of 2018, and then the general election will be in uh, November the sixth uh, at 2018. And I'm excited because number one, Elise, I'm the only female on the ticket right now. I think. Women need to share in the leadership, especially in the political arena. I, I just know from experience that better decisions are made when you have more women around the boardroom and 
and the war room tables and the political tables. So I, I am thrilled that I get a chance to maybe step into the fray and be a reasonable voice of someone who's spent a lot of time working in a male-dominated arena. And I think with my very um, broad background that I could bring a lot to the game. And so I'm very, very excited. It, you ask me what it takes. I'm trying to visit all 254 counties because I really believe that rural Texans built Texas and therefore rural Texans have a lot of things to offer. And in a way, we've kind of forgotten about them because we concentrate a lot on our cities. So that's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum is, believe it or not, we have places in large cities like Dallas, places where you are, where there are food deserts, Mm -hmm. places where a mom can't get access to fresh foods and vegetables without taking three forms of public transportation. I mean, that's just, that's insane in 2017. And we're going to talk about how we can fix that later, but that's, that's kind of where we are on the rate, on this kind of race. And the bottom line is three million. That's the number. Three million votes. And Three million back, votes. It, yep, that's what it's going to take. Okay. And it, doesn't sound, and it doesn't sound like a lot for a state that has 19 million people who could vote. I want you to think uh, about that. Yep, uh-huh, incredible. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I appreciate you laying that out for us, Colonel. Um, I guess the other thing I want to make sure that, that we understand here is that it, it, when you run for an office like this, you don't get paid, right? I mean, you're, you're actually spending your own money or whatever you raise to be able to, to run for the race. And then when you actually do the work, you don't get paid, correct? Well, actually, the, uh, the agency, which is Department of Agriculture, has a thousand employees that work for it. it. It has kind of, if I may, real quick, it has basically five big things it does. It makes sure the ways and means, meaning, you know, when you put a gallon of gas in your car, you get the right amount of gas and it's good gas. It does a free and reduced lunch for our kids, 3 million children every day in our schools. It helps do match grants like Meals on Wheels, providing foods for seniors. And then it makes sure about our food safety, that the food we pull off the shelves in our grocery stores are safe for our family. And then the big deal is it's supposed to enhance rural um, communities, and I think that's where it's kind of let itself down. So a billion-dollar budget, yeah, half a billion-dollar budget, a thousand people, and it's an agency, and yes, you do get paid. You do get paid to run that agency. Okay, good, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. I would hate to think that knowing the effort that you're going to put forth that you wouldn't actually even draw a paycheck, so I'm, I'm actually happy to hear that. Um, well, let's talk about one of the things that I really was interested in hearing about for my own self, because I certainly do care a lot about health, physical fitness, food, all uh, nutrition. I know that you know a lot more about the health of Texans than I do, and you've got some concerns about that. What are certainly. they? Uh, certainly. And Texas, I think, shares what's going on in the United States. The really sad thing, and you can there's lots of research around it, lots of... Um, studies showing this, but the projection is that a third of Americans are pre-diabetic or diabetic. That's a hundred million people who have the potential to have diabetes. And the sad thing is it's our children who have an absolute diabetic epidemic bubbling. And the only reason that is a current place is because of what we feed them. Now, I'm going to talk to the moms out there because no mom wants to sentence their child to a shorter lifespan than they're going to live. But that's what's going to happen if we don't curb this diabetic epidemic. It is for the first time in human history, this next generation will not live as long as, say, you and I will. 
And that's, like I said, that's insane. And so we moms who do bring the groceries into the household, I know you got some guys out there that shop, but, you know, at least a six-pack of beer isn't really considered groceries, but I'll give it to them. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to educate moms as to that how food can be medicine for their children and how it's important what you feed your child in the early years and then later on because they don't want their children to have diabetes. They don't want their kids to be sentenced to a shorter lifespan, and they sure as heck don't want all the complications that come with a sickness, which is, which is actually pretty brutal. Diabetes is a brutal sickness, and it lasts a very long time, but it really truly does shorten your life and give you a terrible quality of life. So if we can educate moms or the caregivers of families about what's best to bring into your household, then I think we can we can curb this projection of a pretty sick society. And that's that's really what drives me. And and of course Texas is right in line with all that. Education is a big thing for me, obviously. How yep. how how do you want to how do you want to get people educated on this front? This is a big task. It is, but I'll tell you, Elise, once you and I'm gonna swing out to the women again. Once you get women on board and moms on board and caregivers on board, you're going to be amazed what we can do. What person out there, let me just ask you this, what person out there would put a toddler in a car and not put it in a car seat? Do you know that was legislated? We actually legislated and changed behavior. And I know everybody has a fit when we say, oh my gosh, you're going to legislate behavior. But if I tell you, look... If you bring that six-pack of soda in, if you feed your children sugary drinks, this is what's going to happen to them. And it's not that they get sick. In addition, it's here's what happens in their inability to learn because they can't pay attention. Here's what happens when their sugar spikes and drops back down. Here's what happens when they're the obesity epidemic that's rolling through our children today. These are lifelong illnesses that, again, I, I know of no mom that wants to to plague their child with that. And and in reality, we got to own this, Elise, because when we entered the workforce to work with a purpose, we put a void in the kitchen. And guess who filled that? Fast food. So if we created it, there you go. If we created it, we can fix it. And can you Mm -hmm. imagine now pulling up to a a fast food restaurant and said, yes, I like a pack of sliced carrots and some peanut butter and celery, and let's have some... uh, some apples with that and a, and a you know, bowl of fruit. We can do that. We, we have the most powerful thing at our fingertip, which is our dollar bill. Where do you spend your money? Mm-hmm. Where do you, what do you support as a mom? And I'll go back through it. Moms against drunk driving. Um, putting car seats in the car. Making sure that um, all the things that, that moms do very well. And if we want to feed our kids healthy food, we'll do it. I believe in I believe in women. We will. I can remember, um, Colonel, when I my daughter who is now fourteen, and I for year I've always believed very strongly in having good, healthy food, especially starting with vegetables and fruits. And I remember so distinctly, I'd go to the 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 um, the market, you know, the basic grocery stores. And I would be literally the only person in line that had just a boatload of vegetables and fruits, and everybody else had packaged stuff. And you could yeah. almost see the, 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 the clerk going, oh, no, here we go. we got to look up at all these skews for all these things. Oh, no. 
bags and bags of, of, of vegetables. So you're right. We can absolutely change that tide. Absolutely can. I, I believe in that too. And all the more reason that I wanted you to come on the air because I want I, I want to be a part of helping to raise this message and bring this awareness to necessity yeah. to change. That's how we get it done. That's how we get it done. You're right. Well, are there any other kinds of, so we talked about about diabetes and obesity. Is there anything else out there that you want to present that you want to address in this particular role? Well, I think the biggest thing, like I said, uh, would be to help rural Texans because, like I said, America built was built on the back of rural Americans and Texas was built on the back of rural Texans. And I think they feel as if they're forgotten. And again, I've been to 46 counties in this state and I'm going there to listen to them to see what their issues are and what is it they need. Do they need less legislation? Do they need you know, seed money? Do they need help in in regards to getting access to land for, for young farmers or getting access to, let's say, an exemption early off? Do they need less fees? <laughs> like the, the auditors just came up with the Department of Ag overcharged these poor farmers and ranchers the fees. And so, and a great example is, here we had Harvey which decimated the cotton crop. What can we do to help them modernize? What can we help help them do to save our resources? Because just because you work the land doesn't mean you get to strip it of all it has. You, I believe, and most of us at work land, which of course I do, want to be good stewards of the land. And so if you have information and education out about how best to work your land, and I'll just give you a real quick example is something like cover crops. If you put cover crops, then you don't lose that precious resource on your land, which is the first two inches of soil. I mean, this is the most, this is like gold to most farmers and ranchers. So if we can do that and get the farm bill, which will come out next year, to put some money in to help farmers transition to say, instead of broad broadcast, um, irrigation, maybe we do microsprayers instead of leaving ground bare and we put cover crops on it so that we can save the topsoil. So, so there's lots of things we can do because technology is incredible now in farming, but the farmers need capital to make those kinds of technological transitions. And I think not only do farmers and ranchers need a voice in Austin, they need a voice in D.C., and you want to be that voice. You bet. Well, <laughs> I, I would be happy to have you right, be that like voice. It. And, right, and you've got a voice and you want to use it. I love that. Hold <laughs> your thought there for a second. It's time for a quick break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with retired Colonel Kim Olson, who served the United States Air Force for 25 years. She has a distinguished life and career and is running for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. She joined us today from Mineral Wells, Texas. We've been talking a bit about why she wants to run, what it takes, and some of the issues that she really wants to help move through. Stay with us after the break. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops 
and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is retired Colonel Kim Olson, who served in the United States Air Force for 25 years. She has announced her candidacy for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. She is a farmer, veteran, pilot, and champion of education, and is influenced in the future of sustainable food production through her community-supported agriculture at the 4K River Ranch in Mineral Wells, Texas. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Colonel, before the break, we were talking a bit about just some of the things that that you would be able to help enact via voter support. So the first thing I want to do in this segment is I want to remind listeners that the way to get into this conversation and become part of the solution is to vote. (laughs) So you mentioned there are 19 million people that are eligible voters in the state of Texas alone. And in the last um, run, only 8 million of them voted. So and I certainly get that. No vote is a vote. And so the first thing I want to say as we go into this next segment is the importance of really joining in through lending your own voice via 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 vote. So um, I know that Texas is one of the is one of the states that just doesn't seem to vote. So let's change that tide while we're talking about food. Um, That's okay. exactly right. Thank you. Right. Good job. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I just think that I've I've been asked to, to to share that as well because I think it's just so important and people say please please speak your mind on that issue of voting too. So I, I will. Um, well, let's get back into the food topic, Colonel, if we can. I, I mean, food v- varies considerably, and people's perspective on what actually constitutes food varies considerably. So will you help our listeners understand what kind of a diet negatively contributes to our health? Well, let me, I'll, let me just spin that question, which is a great one, and let's talk about the best diet. And the best okay. diet you can have is the one that is um, where you get the food closest to the source. So if you're having mangoes in the wintertime, that means those, those mangoes were picked from overseas, and they were picked to be transported. They're not picked for their nutritional value. They're picked so they can handle the transportation journey. And then they're shipped, obviously, to your local grocery store, wherever it is you shop. And so I'm a huge proponent of 
trying to get food as close to the source. So we're going to segue into, okay, well, where does that happen? Well, when you look at your grocery store and you look at the label, look where food comes from. Is it from New Zealand? Is it coming out of Mexico? Which isn't bad. That's just south of our border. That's not too bad. But you have to remember that food like tomatoes and apples and things like that are picked so that they can be transported, not picked at their peak of ripeness. So if you're concerned about the nutritional value of food, fruits, and vegetables, again, you want to get them as close to the source as you can. We'll talk about where that is later. The second thing is when we were retraining women vets on how to change their diet to help them in their uh, reintegration back into civilian world because we have a pretty processed diet when we ship you overseas to fight in combat because it's very, very high calorie and high sugar, and we try to not have that when we come back home, um, we tell folks to shop only the perimeter of the grocery store because most of the inside aisles are really non-food items. They're processed items. And if, so if your kid has ADD, if we're struggling with asthma, a lot of the research will show if you will decrease the, the consumption of that kind of food, and really it isn't food, it's just me chew on <laughs> that those <laughs> those symptoms will decrease and again there I'm not a doc but there's a ton of research out there on the best way especially if you're struggling with any kind of illness the fresher and the more whole literally whole food you can get meaning that you know the whole potato not a french fry or a a potato chip, but the whole potato is better for you than anything that's been processed. And that's just, number one, it's common sense. But number two is really, it, we found an incredible change in our women who we fundamentally changed their diets when they came back. You know, I really appreciate the crispness of, crispness of what you just outlined for us there, Colonel. The idea being that when you go to the grocery store, you shop the outside corners. And I realize that is what I do. I very seldom will go to the in the in, internal aisles, and I that is a simple way to frame good eating. I really appreciate that. That's fantastic. Great. <laughs> simple things for simple minds, Colonel. That's what I need. <laughs> Give it to me straight. Um, well, uh, along those lines, one of the things I definitely wanted to talk about is, I, and I know that you're, you're one of the things you want to do is help Texans gain access to farmers markets. And I love going to the farmers markets. But first, why are you a fan of farmers markets? Well, I'm a fan of farmers markets because I'm a fan of farmers, and 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 most folks. Who doesn't like farmers? I mean, they, they work in the field. They grow you a, a product. They're proud of it. They, they harvest it for you. If you know anything about farmers markets, this is kind of how it works. Most of us who are, and I, I've, you know, I've uh, sold at a farmers market. We, we're up at O-Dark 30. We, we harvest whatever it is we're going to bring to the market. That means it is picked that day for you. Uh, we get it to the farmer's market. We tend to, um, we're very proud of what we sell. It tends to be much cheaper than anything you can get in the grocery store. Yeah, do you have to find a place that's selling stuff? Yes, you do. Okay, get over it. You know, you'll, <laughs> you'll drive to a Starbucks, you'll drive to a movie theater. Come to your local farmer's markets. It shows that you support those farmers who are working really hard to, buy, to provide good produce 
for the Texan family. And, and it's a good way to show your children where food comes from and how it gets delivered and what people look like who grow this stuff. I mean, most of us, most of the farming is not done by mega corporations. It's just, just done by regular Texans who just happen to love to grow stuff. And I think it's a great community um, event when you go to one. There's several in Dallas. There's several in most uh, large places. And if there isn't one, you ought to start one. It just is lots of folks grow stuff around um, where most people live. There, there tend to be farmers just about everywhere. We have a beautiful downtown Dallas Farmer's Market that I'm sure you know of and probably have frequented before, and it has the most fantastic, inviting vibe to it, Colonel. It is just, it's visual appeal, appealing, It's it smells fantastic, it has this joie de vivre kind of feel about it that is so inviting. I don't know why you wouldn't want to go to Farmer's Market. Yes, you're right, you have to schlep yourself down there and get there, but um, it, it is incredibly inviting to go to. And I'll give you a tip. If most of us who, who harvest food and bring it to the farmer's market don't want to take it home with us. So if you'll go at right before the farmer's market closes, you can get a lot of great deals on food because people will sell it to you at a discount because, again, they don't want to haul it back. And what we used to do when we were there is we would barter. So I'd end up giving somebody, well, just I was into garlic, but I traded this guy a whole bushel of peaches for my garlic. So there's lots of things you can do at a farmer's market. But I'm glad, and I don't know what that word was, but I'm sure it was a good word that you said. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> joie de vivre means joy of life in French, and it just has that feel for me. But that is a great tip about going toward the end of, of, of the market. I hadn't considered that, but that makes a ton of sense. You don't want to bring that stuff back to the, to the farm, so makes sense. Um, well, we talked about, for me, it's not hard for me to get to this market, Colonel. I mean, literally, it's probably a, let's call it a five-mile drive at best, and it's fairly easy parking for me and access. How do you plan to help Texas gain more access to farmers markets? You know, that's a really good question. And I talked about earlier about having what we call food deserts, where there's a it, South Oak Cliff is the great example, where a mom would have to get on the dart and then do public transportation and then walk three blocks to get access to a store that sold fresh fruits and vegetables. I mean, not, none of us are going to do that. That's just insane. So, where better to put a farmer's market than places where there are food deserts? And I'll tell you, the, you know about Paul Quinn College. It's a college right there in Dallas. I do. It's a mm-hmm. predominantly African-American student body. And I, I, I tell you, i got to do a shout-out to that president. When he got there, he said, we're not going to have an athletic program. These folks need to learn how to be businessmen and women. And what he did is he moved the athletic program, I believe, into, the, into you know, intramurals. And he took his stadium, and he grows fresh fruits and vegetables there. And he teaches folks that you grow it there, and then he sells it to the cafeteria, and then he sells it on the open market. And what he's teaching his student body is how to be entrepreneurs, how to be businessmen and women, how to market, how to do science and math and environmental issues. So growing food is covers the entire spectrum of all the disciplines you would ever learn in any college, I would argue. And so here is a phenomenal example of what a university did around food and around teaching their students about how to be businessmen and women. What if we did that 
in every college in this great state? What if we had something like that in every high school? You know, we, we poo-pooed um, voc ed anymore, I, I, I don't, which I think was nuts. We, we really did our students a disfavor yep. by not allowing them Agreed. to graduate. Yeah, with some kind of certification in something. Not, I know everybody's going to have a fit, but I'm going to say it out loud. Not everybody should, wants to, or can afford to go to college. But it doesn't mean you can't make a decent living. Because guess what, Elise? I like air conditioning. I like running water. I like having electricity to my house. All those things require certification to to build and maintain. And and I and I think our students can do that. Plus. Growing food is exactly the same thing. I want to comment on what you said earlier about the president of uh, Paul Quinn. I think that's got to be Dr. Michael Sorrells, and I know right. him, and I'm also a big fan. But I did not know that that's what he was doing with his with his having converted sports program into into more of food production. And I had no idea. That is fantastic. I mean, even I'm even a bigger fan now. That's great to know. And I appreciate how you laid out. Right, how that might be a, a blueprint for other universities, mm-hmm. Colonel. That's that's the kind of stuff that I wanted to make sure that we presented for our listeners. Great stuff. Oh, yummy. No pun intended, but just yummy. I'm <laughs> 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 um, sorry, I can't help myself. Um, so another thing that we talked about, and I just don't have a lot of knowledge about, is CSAs or co-ops. Uh-huh. So what's CSA and, and, and what's a co-op? So it's a CSA is is it's an acronym for Community Supported Agriculture, and that, that's the business model that I run. And what you do is, um, and this is a big deal around a lot of the cities when folks want fresh food brought to them, so they don't go to the farmers market. It, it gets brought to them in, in a different, a lot of different ways, or you pick up. So when I ran my CSA, I had what you call a membership, and people pay you up front. So everybody puts money into the CSA. So everybody pays up front. And what then you do is you take that that capital and you invest and you grow uh, whatever the season calls for. And in that work, you say to your members, okay, you're taking on the risk that that a a farmer would have. If we get hail, if we get a flood, heaven forbid, if if something happens, then, well, I'll I'll try to do the best I can, but you got to know that this is tough. But what they're doing is investing in a farmer to grow for them. That's basically what it is. For me, when I ran mine, I made the families give me sweat equity, which meant they had to come to my farm and they either had to harvest, they had to plant, they had to weed, they had to can, they had to clean, they had to do something because I wanted them to see, in reality at least, how hard this is to do, how much work it takes. And once you see that, You'll never complain about a bruise on your apple or a little bug in your lettuce again. It just, it is very, very hard work. We love it, but it is not for the weak or the faint of heart because it, it is a labor of love because you better love labor. <laughs> so I say, I, I make the, the transition of, you know, none of us are going to go out into the valley and pick fruits and vegetables, but we have a workforce that'll do that. And that's why... For Texas, ag is a third of its GDP, and you need a decent immigration policy so that you have workers that can come in and pick all those massive fields, because if I don't get my field picked, guess what? I lose it, and I lose it for the entire year. It's not like some assembly line that I can just slow down. So ag and having people see what it takes to do that, 
then they become great advocates for homegrown products and for the local farmer. And so I've had women and families that have been with me for five and six years. So we do kind of come become this mini, you know mini, mini community. But I'm a, I'm a big advocate for uh, community supported agriculture. But anyway, you would you get your membership and then I deliver groceries to you basically once a week. That's how it happens. Okay. I don't know if we talked about this or not, Colonel, but did I tell you that I grew up on a farm that my and that's really where I got my work ethic. You talked about this hard work. Yeah. Yeah. So when when I was in elementary school in Central Washington State, my parents had a 600 acre farm that had wheat. We, we ultimately grew wheat, sugar beets, and we had cattle. And I, boy, talk about hard work. I mean, my yep. my parents were. I will always revere them, and for what they what they what they put in in a seven day work week, and what they taught me about work. And later on, we got into the restaurant business, and that's equally <laughs> right up there with hard work. Um, but anyway, it's so part of the, again the part of the reason that I I resonated with what you're doing is that I can appreciate just what it takes to be able to pull this off and what you're saying about the hard work and being able to help enroll people in that process and having them work on your farm with you I think is genius. Well, it's funny because I had a kid come out one time and this just shows you how important it is now how folks don't know about their food. The kid walked out and goes, now, which trees potatoes grow on? And I said, grab a trial, honey. Let me, let me just show you where it is. We're, we're going to eat some dirt. <laughs> no, and that's, that's a true story. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally get it. I understand. And it's and that's all the more reason I, I appreciate. Um, and I, I, we're actually just about to go into a quick break here. I know we're going to talk more about that in terms of teaching children about food and where it comes from and being part of that process. So let's let's go ahead and grab that break so we can get right back into that conversation. I'm Elise okay. Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with retired Colonel Kim Olson, who served in the United States Air Force for 25 years. She has a distinguished life and career and is now running for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. She joins us today from Mineral Wells, Texas. After the break, we're going to talk a bit about how to help schools and communities grow uh, using such options as school gardens. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Look along the stars, life is bigger than it seems. 
inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning Healthy Living Power Hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is retired Colonel Kim Olson of the United States Air Force. She's announced her candidacy for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. She is a farmer, veteran, pilot, and champion of education, and is influencing the future of sustainable food production through her community-supported agriculture at the 4K River Ranch in Mineral Wells, Texas. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Colonel, before we we left off last, and, and then on the break, you and I continued... What what are some of the things we can do to get access to good food? Well, one idea that I think is fabulous that our, our neighbor to the north does, Canada, is when you go into a restaurant, they have the ability to, they have like a, a circle with a hundred inside of it. And what that means is that menu item came within, the food for that menu item came within a hundred miles. And so what that does is tells the consumer, it's kind of like our Go Texan program, but Texas is a pretty huge state. My goodness, you can drive for 10 hours and still not be out of her, is if we had something like that where we went to some of our favorite restaurants and we had a circle with 100 saying, look, the food on this item came within 100 miles. And why that's a big deal is because, number one, you're supporting a local grower. Number two, you don't have food that has to be picked for transportation. And number three is we're not burning all kinds of petroleum in moving food from, you know, New Zealand or, you know, clear out from California or way down south in Mexico somewhere that the food is coming locally, meaning it's going to be fresher, more nutritious, and probably really taste better. So there's things like that that we could do, which would be just so simple, not cost anybody anything. Mm, I like that idea. I don't know that I also understood that was happening either. That's fascinating. Very simple. And then how would, how could we support that? How could that, is that just a matter of education, evangelization? What is that? Well, a lot of uh, top chef, chefs will contract with local farmers to bring in certain kinds of food. So if, if uh, I went to the local chef there in Dallas and said, look, I'm, the, I'm a garlic grower. And they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll uh, buy all our garlic from you. So th- there are chefs that already do that. But a lot of times, some menu items, like I'm just thinking I'll give a plug to, to Grace in Fort Worth, it'll tell you all these greens came uh, from a local farm and these are the names of the farm. And they laundry list where these came from. And so wouldn't that be cool to know you were eating lettuce from the 4K River Ranch or you were eating garlic from my ranch while you went to this particular restaurant? It just it personalizes it and it and it makes you understand that your 
choice as a consumer impacts that farmer on the other end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. What I also really like about that, Colonel, is what I see is just that really rich you know, connection, that profound connection that exists between where the food actually came from, the person that created it, and then your actual consumption, which is a very intimate connection. That's what I heard when you talked about that. That was, I couldn't help getting that. Um, Okay, so along those lines, one of the other things I wanted to talk about that I know is, is important to you in terms of growing healthy communities is working with school gardens. And I can tell you that my daughter, who's now 14, she did actually do that when she was in elementary school. She Here at Lakewood Elementary, they had a garden, a school garden program, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, so I know I saw that she got to be able to contribute her talents to be, to be able to create this fruit, nurture it, harvest it, and she was proud of it. Um, but will you say more about why you're such a fan of school gardens and what, what can they do to help us eat better food? That's a great question, and I am a huge fan of putting gardens in every school, in every district in this state. I think every elementary school ought to have a garden for three reasons. Number one is it's important for kids to understand where stuff come from, co- comes from. It really doesn't come from a grocery store, <laughs> and it doesn't come out of a container. It comes from something, and it, it has to... It, take a process to get there. And like I said earlier, Lise, gardening encompasses science and biology and the impact to its environment and, and, and health and all these things. And so I'm a fan of dinosaurs, and I know we have dinosaur um, modules in all the elementary schools, but why don't we teach people about something they are going to do three times a day for the rest of their lives, which is eat. Teach them about the impact of how we farm and what it takes to get food on the table. I I just think that is so critical in just learning about that. The second thing is that a lot of times, this this was like the number two thing I was hearing about as I was traveling around, that there's this shaming going on. So when a kid runs out of money in the cafeteria, they, they really like almost punish the child for not have their parent, not having enough money for, for food. And a nutritious meal for our kids isn't, you know, that's not like just something we might want to do. It's something we should do. All all children in the United States of America should eat, and they should eat a nutritious food, period. I mean, this is a a Texas value. And if we had food that we could get to for free, then feed it to kids. Let them pick it. Let them... Let them learn what it's like to, to bring food to the table. And who cares if you can pay for it or not? I think it's insane that with all the funding that we have out there, that a child should go hungry in 2017 in the United States of America. It's just, it's insane. It is completely insane. And at the other end of that, of course. Go ahead. What? I was going to say, on the well, other end of that, of course, is, you know, then, then we've got the, the obesity on the other side of that, too. It's just, it's crazy. Sorry, it what is. were you going to say? Well, I I was going to say then the last thing is, you know, you and I, we have gray hair, chemically altered gray hair, and it is this next generation that has to learn the impact of our choices in how we use our on I don't care how many doubters you have out there. The reality is if, if you didn't think so after watching Harvey, then you're living under a rock. But how we use our land and what we do to our is going to, Packed our access to 
um, exporting to different markets because now those ports in, I'll just say, Houston, even Iowa corn cannot get out of the United States is where it's pushed out. So my point is, with agriculture being a massive economic impact for our country, it what we do to the because it care about it from a conscious point of view. You ought to care about it from an economic point of view. Because these events, these last two weeks, are going to cost us billions of dollars in revenue loss and in damage to the respective towns. But that's what it. So kids got to learn about that because they're going to fix it. They're going to have to fix it. Mm-hmm. You were cutting out quite a bit there from a technology vantage point. So I know you were talking about the the economic impacts of Hurricane Harvey here in Texas. Just want to make sure that listeners could 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 get that context for what you were talking about. T- say again, if you could, Colonel, just to make sure that listeners get it, because you did cut out what the next generation can do to to address that. Well, the next generation needs to take on climate change. It, it okay. Does. Because climate what Harvey change. did, not only did it did it wet all the cotton, so we lost a predominance of our cotton crop down there. It hurt the rice farmers because the rice had been harvested, now it's wet. And in addition to that, most of the corn and soybean come out of Houston, and so what it does is it it impacts our export capacity. So what I was saying is if you don't care about climate change because you have a social conscience, you ought to care about it from the economic impact that events like Harvey will do to our agricultural economy, which, as I'm going to repeat, is a third. It's a $100 billion economy in Texas, and it generates or works around $560 million jobs in this state. It's a big deal, Elise. Yeah, it is a big deal. And I I appreciate you just really helping us get very clear about that because it can get ethereal for people, I think. It can get very abstract for them in terms of concept if they're they're not connecting like like you are for us. And speaking of that, one thing I want to do really quick because we're starting to get close to the end of the show here is it just occurred to me as you were talking back on school gardens. I know we're kind of going back a little bit here, but... I want to understand, there's so many people out there who say this to me, and I just don't get it. I don't eat vegetables, or I don't eat anything green. I'm, I, most of my diet is vegetables. Right. Do, you, do you think that if we can help students get access to school gardens earlier in life, that we might actually see some of that trend change? Well, you'd hope so. I mean, we as a nation were able to kick the habit of smoking cigarettes. We legislated it. We educated people. The medical community got on board. I mean, there were all kinds of changes in that. And so if I say to you, look, we have this diabetic epidemic going, and it is only because we are consuming too much sugar and not enough fruits and vegetables or too much of another product. I'll, I'll leave sugar out of it. But And we educate then moms to say, okay, this, this is maybe instead of a bag of chips, how about a bag of carrots, right, instead of that processed um Food, how about something closer to the source, meaning greens or fruits and vegetables? And so I, I'm a huge proponent, and I, I trust Texas women. They're going to do right by their families. I don't have to browbeat them. You just got to make sure, A, they got access to it. B, they understand the consequences if you choose fast food every day for every meal. And C, 
no mom that I've met wants to see their child suffer. And so if I can say to them, look, you know, or help them find, you know, the whatever the educational or the research base that says this is where you can help your child to grow healthy and strong. Most kids want to be healthy and strong, don't we? We want our children to be that. Yeah. (laughs) Got it. Well, we're getting really close to, to time here. I have two more things I want to ask you really quick, Colonel. Um, next one is, if, any other thoughts about how we can grow healthy communities? Anything else that you haven't said that you want to make sure and pass on to our listeners about growing healthy communities? Well, I'd like to harken back to our Paul Quinn College where, where a leader took a decision and, and, he, and he pushed and showed the benefits of all those involved, because there were a lot of stakeholders, I'm sure, and all that, and said, it is for the best of the community if we do that. I, as I understand, down in Corpus Christi, there are community gardens in which folks come and work and they get to have their produce. There are places in which they grow food and give it to food banks. There are churches that do only sweat equity, and then you can take home as much produce as you want. I mean, the hunger issue in our country is one of the dumbest problems we have because at least 40% of the food that we grow and bring to the table gets wasted. I'll repeat that Uh. dramatic effect. 40% we, we pitch. 40% of the food. We can fix that if we can grow it closer to the site and grow it closer to the people who need it. And I would offer you can grow food in downtown Dallas. You can grow food out here in Palopino County. All you need is a little bit of land. And people can feed a family on a little bit of land. Mm. That just breaks my heart here that we throw away 40% of the food. That just, that kills me. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, final thoughts here for our listeners, Colonel. What would you like to leave our listeners with here? The show is about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and for you to be able to talk about just what it is you're trying to convey. So what would you like them to to leave with? Well, in your show, it's it's working with a purpose, and I can think of no greater purpose in this state in which we have the capacity to grow our own food, to feed our own Texans, because as I, I said earlier, everybody eats. Everybody eats, and everybody has a chance to affect how their longevity is going to be. Everybody has a chance through education and the right choices to drive what kind of life their children are going to live. Everybody has a chance in life to make good choices around feeling good and aging out well. I mean, healthy ag leads to healthy Texans, and when we have healthy Texans, we have a healthy economy. It's as simple as that, Elise. Wonderful way to finish the show, Colonel. Thank you so much for joining me again. You know I'm a fan. I appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing. You are absolutely working on purpose, and I'm glad to be part of that conversation with you. Thanks for joining us. It is my pleasure, as always, Elise. You know I'm a fan of you, too. Thank you. If you want to learn more about retired Colonel Kim Olson and the work she is championing by running for Texas Commissioner of Agriculture, visit her website. I'll say it and then I'll spell it. It's KimOlsonForTexAg.com, but it's got some different different characters in there. So it's Kim, K-I-M, Olson, A-O-L-S-O-N, the number four, T-X, Ag.com, KimOlsonForAg.com. 
And then join us next week, if you will. We're literally going to be going back to school and talking with Bishop Lynch High School biology teacher Christy Wainwright about her completely unplanned journey into teaching and literally getting zapped by her passionate dedication to instilling the love of lifelong learning in her students. See you then. Remember that work is at least one-third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.